Seven different races in 2021 and seven different winners. This is the Money Stop, the most important stop of your day. And alongside Cole Cusimano, my name is Steven. And man, oh man, what a show was put on at Bristol this weekend. The Bristol Dirt Track, our first dirt race to take place in the Cup Series since 1970. And it was Joey Logano who took the checkered flag in a race that was absolutely jam-packed with action all throughout the pack. Great racing, surprises, everything in between. An unbelievable weekend of racing. So much to the point where they are going to do this again next year, Cole. So much to recap and reconvene about this weekend's race at Bristol. Where do we even begin? I don't even know where to begin. I think, first off, what NASCAR did, the lengths they went through to make this weekend possible, was was truly tremendous. Um, just the, the whole track crew... All the, the workers they brought in to make this event possible overnight after that torrential downpour and the flash flooding. Um, I mean, you, you can't say enough about NASCAR and, and all they've done to ensure they put in a great show for the fans and put out a product that's suitable for the drivers to contend on. Now, let's start with the surprises of this race, because one thing I'm going to say right here and right now is that I'm not surprised Joey Logano won. I think the expectation going in with a lot around the industry, really including you and I, was that this race would kind of be dominated by racers with dirt backgrounds, and to some degree it was. I mean, I wouldn't say it was dominated by those types of drivers, but when you looked at the top 10 at any given one of the 250 laps, there were definitely a lot of guys like that running in the top 10, and even looking at the top five finishing positions, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finishing runner-up, a great performance for him, guy with dirt background, but all throughout the process leading up to this race, to me, it really just felt like a race that was going to be muscled out and won by a veteran. I picked Christopher Bell to win by the time it was all said and done. You picked Kyle Larson. In my opinion, though, Cole, I just, again, I really thought that this race was going to have to be earned in such a way that a former champion was going to win it, and that is exactly what happened. So with that being said, are you at all surprised that Joey Logano was the one who won this race? Not really. These are the best race car drivers in the world. That was clearly on display this Monday at the Bristol Dirt Race. Um, I guess to some degree, I am a little surprised that a dirt guy didn't dominate to some degree. But at the same time, these are the best drivers in the world. I think that there's no reason that, that any of these guys can't adapt to the track like they did today and go out on top, like Joey Logano, like Daniel Suarez, who we'll talk about later, who had an excellent performance but this was largely chalked up to the fact that I think that these dirt guys felt like they had something to prove. So they were searching for different lanes all over the track, and that was a little bit too aggressive way too early on. But as you mentioned, we did see some guys come to the forefront and, and close it out in a, in, a, in a great fashion, like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finishing second, Tyler Reddick finishing seventh, Kyle Larson charged from the rear to the, to the top ten by the, the competition caution lap 50, and that was awesome. It was really cool to see him muscle his way through the field, Christopher Bell also had a really, really fast car early on, but as I mentioned, I think they just, they wanted to go out and impress, and lap 52 coming out of that competition caution, Christopher Bell went high, lost control of his number 20, and then that in turn sent Kyle Larson into the side of him, and Ross Chastain just plowed right into the rear of that number 500 motorsports machine. Um, and yeah, as far as the backmarker cars go, like uh, Stuart Friesen in the number 77, Chris Wimdom, Mike Marlar, I more or less was expecting them to run towards the back and maybe contend for a top 20, top 15 finish, and I guess that's kind of what we got, but 
I guess in the grand scheme of things, I'm not really surprised with how this race turned out. I mean, you mentioned it, pretty much the turning point of the race when Christopher Bell spun in front of Kyle Larson. I think by a lot of standards, those were the two favorites to win this race. And when that happens about a quarter of the way through, not even a quarter of the way through, really, uh, that really took everybody by surprise and, and threw everyone for a loop. So uh, that was one of the surprises for sure. Like you said, just searching for things and being a little bit aggressive early on. But, you know, you said that this race kind of played out the way we were expecting, but there was a, quite a bit that happened. You know, what out of everything that we saw was the most surprising to you? Well, I would have to say around lap 150, we had two restarts coming out of the second competition caution. And that prompted NASCAR to, th to make this decision to go to single file restarts from there on out to the end of the race. And that was just very, <laughs> it was weird because obviously we haven't had single file restarts in, I want to say over 10 years now, but looking at, at dirt racing historically, that's how they, they run, run races. They do single file restarts. So it was an adjustment. I think the drivers adapted well. I don't know if it put out the best product in those last 100 or so laps, but, you know, with the dirt being kicked up and, and the track conditions, that's what had to be done, and I think that, as I mentioned, the drivers adapted well, NASCAR adapted well, and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll analyze this as they go into this next season as they go back to the dirt track. Yeah, that is what's so exciting. I mean, there were a lot of developing stories in this race that sort of were like breaking news. You mentioned NASCAR making the change from double file restarts to single file midway through the race. And then also the announcement being made by the track president right in the middle of the race that they would be coming back and doing this again next year. And that right there is really just a testament to how well this experiment went. And the fact that we're going to see it again is so exciting for the sport in terms of Bristol and coming back here, but also the doors that it opens up for other dirt tracks on the circuit, whether it be in Eldora or another track that decides to transition to a dirt track, or maybe even the experiment that's going on over at Auto Club Speedway right now, which they are, I believe, transitioning to a short track. I mean, you never know what kind of doors this is going to open. But I do want to transition to our Stacking Penny segment because... I got to talk about what surprised me the most, and for those of you who are new to the podcast, Stacking Pennies, this is where we just talk about a few drivers who are stringing together a few good runs in a row and stacking together just solid performances and making a name for themselves, and the biggest surprise to me was Daniel Suarez. I mean, what a race he ran for Trackhouse Racing. He came up through the field, started 18th, led a bunch of laps, almost won stage two, and the handling just went away towards stage three, but he still ended up with a top five. And man, if you got to love this for track house racing, it is so good for the sport in general. I mean, in two different ways. It's great to see Daniel Suarez doing well several weeks in a row and especially at an exciting race. But for the growth of the sport, you look at a brand new team, track house racing coming out and literally contending for a win at a wild card of a race, uh, you know, due to their own performance. It, again, kind of like we were talking about last week, Suarez was contending for a top five finish, not by the doing of other drivers dropping out, but because that team was performing so well. And we saw it once again. And when you think about new owners wanting to come into the sport and seeing competitive runs, even Bubba Wallace, who was running in the top 10 in stage three before he ran into some problems and spun on the track, you know, the success of these so-called expansion teams is what I'm going to call them, is so, so good for the sport. And you've got to love it for Daniel Suarez. And we'll see if he can continue this going forward, um, you know, an off week, but then they go to Martinsville after this. And this is no anomaly. They've showcased speed through all seven races this year, and it's it, awesome to see. It's a very feel-good story for 2021. 
I think that no matter who you are, you want to see Daniel Suarez succeed. You want to see these new teams go out there and be competitive. And and we're getting just that with 2311 Racing and Trackhouse Racing. To see Daniel Suarez go out there and lead 58 laps, which, by the way, was his career-high most in a single race for the Cup Series, was incredible. And he almost won Stage 2, led laps in all but two races this season. This team is competitive. That's the bottom line. It's just very encouraging, as, as mentioned, to see these teams succeeding. And it speaks volumes about the chemistry put together between Travis Mack and Daniel Suarez. Not only them, but Pitbull and, and, and Justin Marks, the two co-owners of Trackhouse Racing. You can tell they put in the time, the energy, and the resources to make sure this team was competitive for 2021. And I think that a lot of people thought going in that 2311 Racing, Trackhouse Racing, Live Fast Motorsports, all these new teams were going to have sort of an adjustment period. But as we're seeing through seven races, it's not the case. They're... Going out there, they're contending for top 10, top 15s, and it's it's very encouraging for the, the future of the sport. Now, you mentioned the magic number seven. Again, seven races into the season, seven different winners. We had a few surprise winners three, four races into the season, and we kind of knew that it was going to be a really different year for the NASCAR playoffs. It was going to shake up a lot of the drivers who normally would be in that playoff picture, but now when we are literally about a quarter of the way through the season, not about a quarter, but I think we, you know, seven out of 36 races, we're just over 20% through the season. We can honestly say that this is going to be a very crazy year for the playoffs in terms of drivers who are usually in that playoff picture that are not going to be there by the time it's all said and done. And you look at some of these other drivers that we're going to talk about that are stacking pennies. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. We say his name every week, so I don't want to go too deep down the JTG racing rabbit hole, but Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was a guy that we pegged as, you know, he was putting together excellent finishes, top 12s every single week. I want to say four weeks in a row, and we pegged him as a guy who could potentially go out there with dirt racing experience and background and potentially win this race. And who knows, had there have been a double file restart, he probably would have given Joey Logano a run for his money. And you start to look at some of these guys that are so-called stacking pennies, according to us, Stenhouse, Suarez, and also Ryan Newman, who finished fifth. And you're looking at a few of these guys, not all of them, but a few of them who very well might make the playoffs. And when you look at the standings right now, it's really tough to pinpoint who is going to miss out. But when I really think about it, I've seen nothing whatsoever to be optimistic about for Stuart Haas Racing. Once again, Kevin Harvick, a bad showing, Cole Custer, no good either. And even Chase Briscoe, your sleeper and a guy who a lot of people had high hopes for, just didn't have a good race at one of, uh, you know, a race that really should have been his bread and butter. Another guy with dirt racing experience. And, you know, it's going to be a very, very interesting year uh, in, in the NASCAR playoffs. It's a very tough climb for those guys, specifically Briscoe, Custer, and Amarola. But, you know, it's still relatively early. I think they'll catch on to it at some point. At least I think Amarola will. Um, it might be a bit tougher for Custer and Briscoe, but we'll see. Um, and it's, what a shame, man. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Stuart Haas today. I mean, <laughs> uh, Ryan Newman gets spun by William Byron. And by the way, impeccable rebound by Ryan Newman to finish fifth after all that. And then, um, Kevin Harvick, he, he pretty much body slammed Chase Briscoe into the wall, sandwiched his car and... Somehow that car was able to keep going, and I think finished around 20th, so that was a, a pretty salvageable day. But, <laughs> wow, that, that team is just in shambles right now. Um, the biggest thing for them is that they got really uh, they got really screwed over by the parts freeze and the R&D development stuff for this year with, with the next-gen car coming out and delayed until 2022. So 
it is a bit of an adjustment period for them, but it is, again, we keep saying it, it's just puzzling because they're struggling, but you still have guys like Kendrick Motorsports, Team Penske, Joe Gibbs Racing, and now Roush Fenway, JTG. They're all catching on. They're all finding their footing and, and throwing together some really good runs and really good products and really good cars out there. So it's just, it's it's very weird to see. That is what's most concerning about it for me. It's not even necessarily that they are underperforming, but it's exactly what you said. When you have these other teams that usually are underperforming that are all doing really well this year, JTG and Roush and, and all these other ones that usually are not running in the top 10. When you look at the strides that they have picked up entering 2021 and we're almost a quarter of the way through the season, that's really what's concerning to me. And if you had to ask me right now, I don't know that there's going to be a Stuart Haas racing car to make it past the round of 12 or the round of eight, you know, unless something were to change really, really drastically. But I do want to also touch on a few drivers that don't have wins yet that maybe should by this time in the year. And I certainly think that these are all drivers who probably will get wins and get into the playoffs. But look at Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski. Those three guys were all in the championship four last year with Joey Logano, who just won, along with Kevin Harvick, who won nine races a year ago. So many different drivers, you know, I just named, what, five or six off the top of my head that are not part of that seven. And then you're talking about depending on how many different winners there are, maybe four, five other cars that are going to make it in on points. And man, there are going to be some good teams on the outside looking in. My question to you though, Cole, is who kicks it into gear next? Because last year was a very unique season. We saw four races before everything shut down. And then when racing resumed, it was pretty much the Chase Elliott show, leading laps and contending for the win every week at Charlotte and Darlington. And here we are, uh, our first break of the season, Easter weekend, we're going to head to a couple of crazy tracks, Martinsville and Talladega included, before they hit the summer stretch. I'm looking at Chase Elliott. Who are you looking at as we hit the heat of the summer? I'm looking at two guys specifically, and that's Denny Hamlin and Brad Kozlowski. So we're heading to Martinsville, Talladega, and Richmond. Those are three tracks that cater to them immensely, three of their best tracks on the circuit. And I'll say it is a bit weird that Denny Hamlin hasn't won yet, but... He's been a top five car every single week. He could have won easily probably every race that we've gone to so far. And listen, the points are a perfect reflection of that. He leads the point standings by 58 points. That's a full race. Yeah, exactly. And Brad Keselowski, I just think that he's more of a second half, middle of the season driver. It was a bit weird last year to see him get those wins at Bristol and the Coke 600. But again, those were kind of wins that he kind of lucked into. So you, you look at the races he actually dominated, uh, New Hampshire, Richmond, those are ones that he he went out there, he dominated, he won. I just think that Brad Keselowski is a, is a middle-of-the-season driver towards the end of the season. And the same can be said about Chase Elliott. I think Chase Elliott and actually Hendrick Motorsports as a whole, they're more of a second-half team, but Chase Elliott's another guy. You, you look at Talladega and, and Martinsville, two tracks where he excels at, so he very well could catch fire here pretty shortly. But I just want to say, looking at the, the playoff picture as a whole right now and, and the seven different winners, I don't think it's as dicey of a situation as we're making it out to be yes it is weird we have seven winners seven different winners consecutively but i mean i think once we would have gotten to like 13 14 races you would have had seven different winners anyway just that they're coming at the same time all, all bunched up is is it's a bit daunting but aside from michael mcdowell these guys i kind of expected to win at some capacity and I'm sure once we get down to this next half of the season coming out of Easter weekend, we're going to see some repeat winners, maybe in Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, and guys like that. It's a good way of looking at it because you do think about it. Christopher Bell, William Byron, 
At the time, they were both surprise winners, but I don't think anybody in their right mind expected either of those two drivers to miss out on the playoffs, let's be honest. And we'll add Ryan Blaney to that same sentence as well. I don't think anybody was really expecting them to win so early in the year, but if you had to ask every person on earth to pick their 16 playoff drivers, I'm sure those three guys were included. So it's a good way of looking at it. And, you know, let's talk about Team Penske for a second because they have been all over the map this year. You mentioned Brad Keselowski had a really strong start to the year, has kind of been mired in the middle of the pack, though, the last few weeks. And Ryan Blaney, it seems like ever since we talked about him and being maybe a little bit concerned about him entering Las Vegas, he has really turned it up. And if you just look at the car that yes. he took to an eighth place finish, <laughs> absolutely mangled. That is just the face of what dirt racing is, and, and it's so impressive that he took that car to a top 10 finish. Really impressive what he did, and obviously, Joey Logano, who was my preseason pick for the championship, really impressive what Team Penske has done so far all across the board with their three drivers. What can we expect from them in the next three quarters or so of the season? I think it's their season to lose, to be honest. You know, we talk about Hendrick Motorsports a lot and how they've showcased probably the most speed this year, but... You look at both those teams right now. They both have account for four of those seven wins. I think, without a doubt, they are the class of the field. And just the level that Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and Ryan Blaney are competing at right now, it's something that should be that should be uh, scary for the rest of the field. Just because, as you mentioned, that car Ryan Blaney drove through the field and, and got a top-ten finish out of, was it was mind-boggling to see that. Brad Keselowski had a very silent day today, ran around 15th, 16th all day, ended up 11th. So that speaks, again, to the the level they're competing at and their resilience throughout the day. Can't really fault the two-car for last week just because the whole Truex incident and, and they were mired back with damage the entire day. But they've been very competitive all year. I'd say aside from these last two races, they've been contenders for the win each week. And I really do believe that this could very well be Team Penske's year to go out on top again. I mean, that's what's striking to me. Like you said, I would say most consistently throughout this first stint of the year, Hendrick Motorsports has been largely the class of the field with Penske right there. I wouldn't even maybe separate those two. But if I had to pick one takeaway from the first seven races, it is Penske versus Hendrick at this point. We have seen a couple wins for sure. Martin Truex Jr. and Christopher Bell, both for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. And we just mentioned that Denny Hamlin it has been really the most consistent driver all year despite not having a win. I think at some point in this summer stretch, Joe Gibbs Racing establishes itself, gets its feet wet, and really starts to win some races here. I think it becomes a three-horse race. But, you know, when it comes to the championships, outside of maybe last year, I look at experience. And the Penske stable is such an experienced crop of drivers between Keselowski and and Joey Logano, two guys who have won championships, and Blaney, who is really in a similar situation to what Chase Elliott was last year. When it comes to Hendrick Motorsports, there isn't a ton of postseason experience, if you will. Yes, Chase Elliott won the championship last year, but outside of that, there's just not a lot of proven experience. And I'm looking for those guys to maybe learn from the adversity that they will inevitably hit uh, throughout the summer months, and for them, hopefully, end up going into the playoffs ready for a title run like Chase Elliott was last year. But again, I think by the end of the summer, by the time we do get to the final 10 race sprint of the season, I think it's going to be Joe Gibbs racing. Because speaking on experience, Hamlin, Truex, Kyle Busch, a couple of former champions, along with one of the best drivers of all time to not win a championship, and Christopher Bell, who is right there, sort of in the same shoes as a guy like Chase Elliott was last year to some degree, it's going to be an extremely competitive playoffs. And I cannot stress enough how excited I am for it to play out. 
Couldn't agree more. I think that also coming out of this break that Truex is going to be on a tear. Today he led a race high 126 laps, went out hours before and dominated the truck race at Bristol Dirt. And I just think, again, he's a guy that's, that's really just coming out swinging in every race this season. And yeah, I think that you're right. It's going to be Penske, Gibbs, and Hendrick for a, a good portion of the year. Now, back to the stacking penny segment for a second. I want to know when do we kind of shy away from these guys who have put together strong runs week in, week out. Because Stenhouse, as you mentioned, we talked about him for five weeks in a row now. He's progressively gotten better as we see. When does he go off the list, you know? I mean, at this point, I, I would have to think I've seen enough out of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And, and even Ryan Priest. I mean, he was running top 10 for a lot of portions of the race. Um, I think now it sort of turns to, in this next stint of the season, the guys who started out in a slump, like maybe you could throw Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, and Stuart Haas Racing as a whole in that mix. Do they start to pick it up? Eric Almarola included as well. And then maybe you start to include drivers like that, as well as maybe guys deeper in the pack who are usually in the 30s or the late 20s that are can maybe string together some top 20s, but are not going to contend for wins. Uh, and even a guy like Ross Chastain, who just has not had a good start to the year, but I think mm-hmm. you and I both have a lot of confidence in. I, I think you start to look at that next sort of crop of drivers because, well, you know, like we've talked about, we're a little over 20% through the year. We know who the players are. We know who the championship contenders are pretty much are going to be, and we know who the surprise drivers are. We know that Daniel Suarez and Trekhouse Racing have come out swinging. We know that Eric Jones has come out and had some good runs. He finished ninth this week. Uh, Another guy who's got two top tens that kind of came unexpectedly, and he had to muscle his way to those as well. We know that Matt Benedetto is going to have his weeks, and clearly Michael McDowell. I mean, these are all of the early storylines. There have just been, to be honest with you, I would say more surprises this season through seven races than I could think of uh, really in like the last 10 years. I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but I mean, look at that long laundry list of drivers that I just named that I don't think anybody would have considered to be running in in the top five or top 10 in some instances at this point in the year. But taking that to another level, it's been even cooler, I think, to see some of the younger drivers uh, that I mentioned just a couple moments ago that have kind of ascended from guys who we thought maybe could win one or two races to ones who could contend for the championship. Christopher Bell, William Byron, Ryan Blaney, those three guys in particular, I think, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but we expected them to win one, two, three races this year, not contend for a championship. But through seven races, I would say they are the big winners. I would say that they're not championship favorites, but They've certainly put themselves in that conversation to be sure, and I know he's a lot more of an established driver, but I would even throw Kyle Larson in that mix, but it's just been so fun to see these guys take their careers really to the next level and have sort of breakout season through seven races. Yeah, I think the guy in particular for me that really, really is impressing me so far is William Byron. Aside from that rough start in those first two races, five race top 10 streak. He's a guy that, you know, he's very quietly dominant, like he'll run in the top 10 all day, every week, and it, I feel like it's rarely touched upon, but he's a guy that I feel like could very well be a, a contender for the championship this year, coming down to the round of eight, maybe. But he's a guy where I kind of feel like we saw this coming, because obviously he had that emotional win at Daytona to put him in the playoffs, and that first round of 16 didn't go quite as well. But after that, I mean, he had a top 10 in half the races of the playoffs, and then looking at this season, again, five top 10s, the win... All that consistency, I think it's only going to do great things for that 24 team and that chemistry at Rudy Fugel. You know what, for a second, let's, real quick, talk about Chad Knauss, because I think 
him coming in as the competition director had, great for, for HMS. That that was the best thing that could have happened for that team. That, that is such a great point. I mean, he's always been known as one of the most brilliant minds in the sports history. And you look at him leading the charge. Uh, I mean, just from all the way back when he was Jimmy Johnson's crew chief for all those years and how dominant that team was. And you put his outlook, his mindset, his knowledge, his intelligence overseeing all four teams. That is a very underrated storyline that could be leading to a lot of the success and speed that we're seeing. And I actually put it into funny perspective uh, to you. I think we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, how throughout Jimmy Johnson's prime, his five championship runs in a row, it seemed like every other week he would fail inspection and that 48 car would be starting at the rear of the field because they were pushing the envelope so close every single week to try and get as much speed out of the car as possible. And it almost feels very similar. You're seeing guys like Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson and the 88 and the 24 go to the rear of the field every week, every other week, because with Chad Knauss bringing that really competitive mindset, just pushing the envelope as far as it can possibly go, squeezing as much speed as possible out of these engines and these cars, I think that's a very underrated storyline. And again, just from myself, my point of view, growing up just a diehard Jimmy Johnson fan and, and seeing that every week that they were going to the rear, but still winning these races and dominating them, it's a very similar feel. And, and I got to think that Chad Knauss, to some degree, is, is totally behind it. And moving back to William Byron for a second, who, of course, learned a lot from having Chad Knauss as his crew chief early in his career. I mean, we talked about him in our pilot episode about how much confidence we had in him taking the next step. And I think that this, again, it's surprising that it's happened this quickly in the year, but in general, I don't consider it to be surprising really at all. I mean, if I was to draft a NASCAR dynasty team at the beginning of this year, which of course they don't have NASCAR dynasty leagues, but if I was to draft one, William Byron would have been in my top five picks. I have that much confidence in his ability going back to last year. And you look at how consistently he is running in the top 10. And a testament to that is the fact that he's in our, our uh, DFS lineup recommendations pretty much every single week. It's an expectation now that he's in the top 10 week in and week out. And eventually those top 10s turn into top fives and they turn into weekly wins. And seeing this consistency out of William Byron after a year where he just had no luck whatsoever is very encouraging, and I think he could contend for a championship this year. And you bring up a good point about comparing him to Jimmy Johnson. I think the biggest thing for me is how he carries himself. He presents himself in such a professional, a silent but professional manner, and I think that speaks volumes to his character and who he is as a person and a driver. Yeah, honestly, I couldn't agree more. And again, as someone who watched Jimmy very closely throughout his entire career, the parallels are just uncanny from their driving style right down to the way they handle themselves. Uh, very, you know, Jimmy Johnson was always described as a vanilla driver, not the flashiest guy. Um, right down to the the very sort of superficial aspects, like going by his full name, William, uh, and Jimmy going by his full name, Jimmy. I mean, it's little things like that, along with the way he handles himself, both in victory and defeat, and just his overall composure and his maturity for such a young man. It's very impressive to see, and I think that that mentality, that mindset is going to go a long way. And again, he's worked with Chad Knauss early in his career. He's been groomed by one of the greatest, if not the greatest, crew chief of all time. And it's it's awesome to see. And if you're a Jimmy Johnson fan uh, coming out of 2020, kind of wondering who to root for, I feel like William Byron's got to be your guy. You look at his career arc and every detail down to the way he handles himself both during, before, and after the race, it's so similar to what we saw out of Jimmy his entire career. Now, William Byron, we saw him run top five for portions of this race, but, you know, it was really competitive. That was one thing that really stuck out is that there were a lot of 
drivers coming and going from the lead, the top five, the top ten, and that was one of the great things about this race. But with all that was good, it wasn't perfect. Clearly, it wasn't perfect. I mean, they had to make changes in the middle of the race. So analyzing and sort of dissecting what we saw on Monday afternoon, Cole, what could we do differently? What could NASCAR do differently next year? What do they need to do differently to make this product even better? Sort of fine-tuning what was already a great thing this year. I'll begin first with the scheduling. I will never, never fault NASCAR for what happened this weekend. That was Mother Nature's doing, obviously. A freak incident, flash flooding, record rain showers. Uh, of course, what happens to NASCAR during one of the biggest races of the season. But I think I would probably schedule this race around a time where there's not as much inclement weather. Maybe in the summertime or somewhere around there. Just because I think, first off, NASCAR did an incredible job prepping the track after all of that and, and getting the fans in a comfortable situation to where they can enjoy the race. And by the way, incredible turnout today. I think it was still a sellout crowd. It looked awesome to be there. But yeah, moving this race to, to, a, to a different time where there wouldn't be as much inclement weather would be great because I think the way they had this track prepped before the showers was great. Because during practice, there wasn't as much like dust being kicked up. I think the track adjusted very well to these cars taking rubber to it. And um, yeah, that, that's the thing I would say first off. And I'm sure NASCAR had its reasons for making this race on a Sunday, but if you make this on a Saturday and it gets rained out, you just push it to Sunday and it becomes sort of normal. So in my opinion, and again, you know, there are people out there, many people out there who know a lot more than I do. I thought this was a missed opportunity for a Saturday night race. Again, going back to classic grassroots racing, thought a Saturday night dirt race at Bristol would have mm -hmm. been a lot more marketable. And also, again, in terms of the potential inclement weather that could come with racing in that region of the United States, I think it makes sense for them to turn this into a Saturday night event. I do love the heats idea. I mean, I was so excited oh, for I these know. heats, almost to the point like they were their own standalone racing events that I was I was that excited for them. So I would love to see them do that again. I hope they don't stray away from that just because it didn't work out this time. But, you know, that as far as scheduling, that would be my first recommendation or, or way that I would go next year. I agree. And all the drivers were saying that too after the race. Everyone loved it. The fans, the drivers, the crew members, they all were a big fan of this dirt race. So it, it's going to be here to stay, I think, for quite some time. But yeah, that was the biggest thing that they all commented on was they wish it was run at night. And I think it would have made for better racing as well. Uh, Tyler Reddick mentioned to me uh, before this race that he, he felt that you would have got a better product if it was run at night just because the way the cars handle and the track adjusts. It's a good way of looking at it, and if you think about it, there were obviously a lot of on-track incidents in this race, and again, to the point where they had to change to single-file restarts about halfway through, or more than halfway through, but I think if you make this race at night, it's not as slick on the track. I think there's probably less on-track incidents, more grip for all the drivers, and I don't think you'd be compromising for how competitive the racing would be anyway. Yeah, and you know what? To be honest, I wouldn't be mad if they didn't do a night race, even though it would be more like a traditional dirt race, grassroots racing experience. But the way these cars raced in the daylight was really, really fun to watch. It and I was. think it added another element of strategy to it too, because the track was constantly changing. And as the drivers and the analysts made comments through the entire race, it made it feel like, it, like an old Bristol race where you had multiple passing grooves. You had to search and adapt to the, the changing surfaces. And that was really cool to see. And that was what was so refreshing about it for me, too, is we talked about this in our pilot episode. What made this a good time to transition from the regular Bristol track to the dirt track? 
it was kind of losing its luster. The races were getting a little bit more on the boring side, and this mm -hmm. was just a perfect time to refresh things. And like you said, perfectly said, it felt like a vintage Bristol race, dirt or not. It just felt like vintage short track racing that you'd expect at the last great Coliseum. And I'm so excited that we're going to see it even more going forward. And I think the only other thing that I would improve upon for the next dirt race at Bristol is going to be just the track prep. I would like to see those trucks laying down water during those stage breaks just so we don't have those single file restarts. Whether they go with that for the entirety of the race next time remains to be seen. I would hope not, though, only because I think it made it a little less interesting. I think the drivers weren't a big fan of it as well. And just having those double-file restarts adds another element of strategy. It adds more intrigue and, and more aggressiveness, potentially. And because, here's what I want to say. Denny Hamlin was not happy with, with Joey Logano in those final laps. He felt that Joey Logano put the blocks on as he normally does. And he he mentioned to to uh, Chris Gaypart, he was going to give Joey Logano the run for his money. going to put the bumper to him, but... That never came to fruition because the single-file restarts, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I have no complaints about the way that this played out. But, you know, I feel like we were sort of robbed of a great finish. I mean, if that was a double-file restart, I think for better or worse, we would have seen a different winner. But regardless of who won, I think it would have been just a much more entertaining finish. And of course, that's ultimately what the fans come to see. I mean, scrap the first 248 laps. That final restart, that's where the pay dirt is made. That's why all the fans show up and tune into the race. And, you know, they just want to see a good finish. And regardless of if you wanted Joey Logano to win or not, how cool would it have been to just see Denny Hamlin or Ricky Stenhouse Jr. get the bumper there and potentially even see whoever the third place car at the time being would have been win. I mean, it would have been really cool just to see how it would have played out. But regardless, that's just nitpicking. I was really happy with the way that everything played out. I'm in the exact same boat. I would venture out and say that was probably the most anticlimactic green-white checker we've seen probably in the stage racing era. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, it, yeah, it, it is nitpicking. I thought overall, this was a great product. I think we had entertainment uh, all throughout, aside from those last maybe 50 laps or so. And that's what you want to see, especially in an experiment like this. And it was an experiment, you know. We weren't sure if we were going to come back after this year. And as you mentioned, Steve, Steve O'Donnell made the call midway through the race that we will be going back to Bristol Dirt Racing in 2022. And hopefully beyond that, because I think they will get the kinks worked out, the little ones that there were. I think, again, it was a great product. Fans loved it. Drivers loved it. Teams loved it. And I would love to see more dirt racing on the schedule. And to kind of put a bow on the, all of this, I just want to praise NASCAR again for their efforts and ensuring the safety of these drivers with the track conditions, working tirelessly day and night to put on a great show for the fans. And, of course, just the innovation aspect, giving us fans something new. Many were clamoring for a change in the schedule and some more exciting venues, and this was just that. Absolutely, and we had a blast going over it, reliving the action that took place on Monday at the Bristol Dirt Race. Congratulations to Joey Logano and Team Penske. That is going to drop the jack on this week's edition of The Money Stop. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow along with us all throughout the NASCAR break and Easter weekend at the underscore money stop on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and then our personal handles at Stephen underscore Cusimano at Cole underscore Cusimano underscore, and be sure to follow my works from News from the Pits. Again, thank you so much. We'll be back in a little less than a week to talk about Martinsville, one of our favorite tracks coming out of the break. All the drivers and teams will be refreshed, and so will we. Thank you again so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Happy Easter.